When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from Tech Sideline's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your host, Evan Hughes. We're pleased to be joined, as always, by managing editor Chris Coleman. But this week, for the first time this year, Will Stewart is out in enrichment. So, making his TSL debut, my friend, the one and only Tech Sideline football and baseball beat writer, Mr. Corey Van Dyke. Corey, welcome aboard, my friend. Yeah, it's great to be on here. Like you mentioned, uh, TSL podcast debut. So, ready to go into some topics here, dive deep into some Hokie sports. So, looking forward to it. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about. Chris Coleman, how are you doing over there? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, I've been very busy today. Uh, I, you know, had so many articles to edit today that I haven't actually gotten to write anything on my own, and I won't have a chance to because I've got a radio interview as soon as we get done recording this podcast. So uh, it's going to be one of those busy days where I, I didn't produce anything, but yet I was really, really, really busy. So it's a great time to be a Tech Sideline subscriber because we've got a lot of stuff up on the uh, website. Oh, man, I've got a lot of stuff personally that I want to write that there's only so many hours in a day, you know. Uh, and I told Will that we would mention at the beginning of this podcast this week. Of course, it is a great time on Valentine's Day. What's a great gift you could get someone on Valentine's Day? You could become a TSL subscriber. Chris, what are our options for those that want to be a part of the TSL oh, family? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, you can get uh, your significant other uh, $84.99 subscription to uh, TechSideline.com. That it gives you a whole year. Or you can do it on a monthly basis. Uh, so you had a couple of different options there. And there's a uh, student fee. If you're a student listening. Th- there is a student fee. And I forget what that is off the top of my head. I think it's 25 bucks. I think that sounds right. It is a discounted rate. For more information, go to techsideline.com. Of course, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DOI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30 thousand people charged with moving violations for a free consultation call anytime day or evening toll free at 1-800-680-7031 again that's 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com jonathan fisher he is the man he's a big tech fan too and 30,000 people that is a lot that's a lot of moving violations really is <laughs> i have not been charged with one personally yet no speeding tickets or anything but uh don't jinx yourself yeah i need to knock on wood i think uh, i've got three in my life and two of them were like in one week Corey, how about you no 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 speeding tickets or anything yet so look uh, at that i'm knocking on wood with knock you. on that wood right there well again we're glad you're with us on tech sideline again you can uh, download the podcast on soundcloud or apple podcast here's what we have coming up on today's podcast we're recording on thursday February 14th, we are going to recap Virginia Tech's big win over Georgia Tech last night. Talk about how that uh, 
really affects the Hokies moving forward. Plus, where the Hokies are back to a seven-man rotation. How does P.J. Horn affect things? We'll get Will's thoughts on that. Excuse me, Chris's thoughts on that. And a little bit later in the podcast, we've got Corey here. Tech's uh, baseball team opens up their 2019 season on Friday against Stetson down in Florida. We'll get a full preview from Corey. He's got a lot of great content up on TechSideline.com. And then to close, because it is Valentine's Day, we are going to have relate Valentine's Day to Hokie Sports and get uh, Chris and Corey's thoughts on that. So you're not going to want to go anywhere. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast. And we begin with Tech Basketball on Wednesday. They knocked off the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets uh, at Castle Coliseum. A good win for the Hokies. Final score, 76-68. to They trailed by three at halftime. Lots of ways we can start off uh, kind of recapping that win. But, Chris, when you look at it today, you already slept on it. What's the biggest takeaway from last night's win? I said to Buzz after the game in interviews, I said I thought that you looked more like yourselves more so than at any other point since Justin Robinson got hurt, and he agreed with that. And I thought in the second half that was the case. They scored 49 points in the second half, shot at a really high rate. I thought the ball movement was as crisp, crisper than it's been since Robinson got hurt. Um, I, I think things worked really well. Uh, so to me that was the big takeaway is that offensively they took a step forward, and they weren't able to do that before. Uh, you know, the first two games without Robinson – they had a total of one day of practice because they had three games in five days and two of those, you know, two travel days in there. Uh, so they just weren't really able to practice. So they've actually been able to string together consecutive days of practice over the last week or so. And I think that helped. Um, Got to caution a little bit because Georgia Tech played that 1 3 1 zone. So this might be a one time thing because, you know, Virginia Tech had good ball movement against the zone, but they're going to go back to seeing more man defense from now on. They're not going to see much zone. So was that a one-time thing, or or did they actually – have they actually made progress? We don't know. We'll see. Corey, what were your thoughts on the game? I mean, I was in the student section for the game, um, so, of course, I had a little bit of a different vantage point than press might have, but – I think the one thing that stuck out to me is since Robinson has, has gone out with the injury, no really player has stepped up and really kind of been the, the go-to guy. You could argue Kerry Blackshear maybe has been a guy that they've gone to down low and whatnot. Um, but really, I, I was expecting more out of maybe Nikhil Alexander-Walker to step up a little bit. He really hasn't had a game that really puts it over the top during that time. But how about Ty Outlaw last mm-hmm. night? Um, 20 points, six threes. It was... It was a reminder of two years ago when he filled in for for Chris Clark, and I remember I think it was against Miami two years ago. He had the eight three-pointers in that game, and I was in the student section for that one too, and just like it was bringing back memories a little bit because I've even said I think that Ty Outlaw is the best shooter on the team. I think everyone can agree on that, and he really showed it last night. It was a perfect matchup, like Chris mentioned, against a zone where he could really get open a little bit, um, find some spots, some soft spots in the zone, and – he did that, so I think he was the big story. Finally, had a guy step up in place of Robinson not being there, and that's really I think what won the Hokies that game was his hot shooting. I think he had what three three straight threes there early yeah, in the first, first half. half. So yep. really big for the Hokies. I want to point out that Outlaw's not a guy who forces shots. He's very much a catch and shoot guy, and he's not going to shoot unless he's wide open. So the fact that he shot 12 three-pointers last night shows that the ball movement was really well and Virginia Tech was getting open looks. 
it's funny because I feel like Corey actually looked at my notes before I started here. The one thing that I had written down, and you just said it, is that he helped produce some of the production with J-Rob's absence in Ty yeah. Outlaw. And you said you can't replace J-Rob, but if you can get guys who maybe go a little more above and beyond their role, that is how Virginia Tech can account for the absence of J-Rob. Yeah, I think it would have to be a different guy each night to a certain extent. And, and, they, and they've honestly, the weird thing last night is they didn't play particularly good defense last night considering Georgia Tech has been so awful offensively. You know, I was expecting that game – what was it, 76 to 68? Correct. I thought both teams scored about 20 points more than I thought they would. It was 52-49 the first time they played. And yeah. the over-under was 122.5 for the game. I so. was, I'm shocked that it went over. I thought that was kind of silly, to be honest with you. And go, going back to Outlaw, you know, one thing I've said on the last couple podcasts is I just feel, again, with J-Rob healthy, with this team at its full potential, I still feel like Ty Outlaw is that X factor. Yeah. And it's good to see him – you know, contributing like he has been the last couple weeks. Yeah, and the, the the thing though about him and and Ahmed Hill to a certain extent is those guys rely on someone getting them the the ball in a position to score, um, and that guy is J Rob. So you don't just lose Justin Robinson's numbers; you're losing some of Outlaw's numbers and some of Ahmed Hill's numbers also because. In a way, Robinson, or a lot of a lot of ways, Robinson makes those guys the players they are. Like they're good fits together, and if you take away one, the other is not going to be nearly as good. So losing Justin Robinson really, really hurt Ahmed Hill, I, I think, um, and it hurt Ty Outlaw to a certain extent. So it was good to see the ball movement being what it was last night but but like I said we don't know if that's a one-time thing against a Georgia Tech zone will they be able to do that against tight man pressure because they haven't been able to do it since and as we saw against Clemson I I think teams are going to push their defense out past the three-point line really get up in the face of of med and outlaw and deny them the basketball and if, that, if you do that, then you've really only got to defend Alexander Walker at that point. If you can stop him from getting penetration, uh, we were just a much, much easier team to defend without Justin Robinson. Um, this offense really needs two guards that can create to be successful, and right now they've only got one. And if you've only got one, you've got none. However, and not that this has anything to do with the guard play, but the Hokies last night did return to a seven-man rotation. Mm-hmm. P.J. Horn... Uh, played eight minutes last night, and I think Hokie Nation very excited to see Horn back because you see just the impact that he can have on the team. Not only him just being back, but it helps the rotation. It yeah. helps KJ. It helps. It, there's so many other ripple effects that it has having PJ Horn come back. Not even just his play on the court. I mean, it's an extra athletic body. Uh, the fact that he can play in there gives Buzz another option. I mean, for a time last night, they played him and Blackshear at the same time. Uh, which allowed maybe a little extra rest for a guy like Outlaw. And another thing we saw was Alexander Walker only played 34 minutes last night. I think in the last three games he had played 38, 40, and 40. And that's a lot to ask. Got a little more rest last night, and his assist numbers went up, and his turnovers went down, which I think is is, is key. So, you know, you'd like to add Justin Robinson back to the mix, obviously, but, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take P.J. Horn. 
Uh, it's certainly an extra body. He only played eight minutes, but the, that that'll go up a little bit as he gets his as he gets his conditioning back. No, no doubt about that. And PJ Horn, someone uh, Corey, we've been saying the last couple of weeks that you really, I feel like, you don't get a true appreciation for how much he means to this team until he gets out, and you realize what this team is without him on the floor. Yeah, when when he's not there, and then if Carey goes to the bench, you're left with Ty Outlaw as your five. And well, although he's Ahmed a shot Hill. blocker now, yeah, yeah, look at that last <laughs> night. Yeah, but you're left with him at your five, Ahmed Hill as your four and that's not necessarily the lineup you want out there against ACC teams that have six six eight and six ten forwards out there all the time so I think it's just big to have him back even though he's not necessarily big height wise he is a body down low that they can throw down there and if Kerry gets in foul trouble which he has prone to show of course uh, hasn't necessarily shown it a lot lately but another guy to throw in there not necessarily have an ultra small lineup out there of pretty much all guards that Buzz might throw out there in that instance. And one thing I kept waiting to see, and Chris, you might have to correct me on this, we kept playing the theoretical game that if Blackshear gets in foul trouble, then Ty Outlaw really is your best option at five with Horn still injured. We really, option. we really didn't see Outlaw. We didn't really see that lineup as much as I think we thought well, it would. Blackshear did a good job staying out of foul trouble. He really and, did. And, and Virginia Tech has done a great job this year of keeping the ball out of the paint on that, on that end of the court to help keep him out of foul trouble. I think he had three fouls last night, and two of them were 80 feet from the basket. Yep. Uh, so that's an issue for him more so than what he does when he's under his own basket, or under the basket, and and playing a half court defense rather than so far away. Uh, so it's really the silly fouls that get him in trouble more than anything. But if you can limit the ones, uh, your more traditional fouls, so to speak, then uh, you can keep him on the court. I remember specifically in the Louisville game, there were a couple of times when he was down on the floor and he got beat, but you could tell that he intentionally let him score the player. And and personally for me, looking at how this team was set up with Horn injured, I was totally okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather yeah. someone get an uncontested layup than him getting a foul. It was early in the second half, and I believe he was already playing with two. So you could yeah, tell he's I, really playing smart basketball. You know, I think it, you're right. You're right, and he's a, he's a smart guy. He's a guy who grew up around basketball. Both his parents were basketball players. His dad was an overseas basketball player uh, for a long time. So he's got a pretty high basketball IQ, I think. And you're right. I, I think it depends on the time of the game, the score, the situation, and all that. There's 17 minutes to go, and you got two fouls. And that guy's got a look at the basket. Just let him score. Just let him score and, and save that foul for later in the game. Yep, two points compared to a foul. I think they the foul definitely outweighs yeah, the uh, – at that point in the game for sure. Let's keep talking about Kerry Blackshear Jr. because Georgia Tech's head coach Josh Pastner had some uh, high praise uh, for uh, KJ in the postgame press conference where he said that he thought he was the MVP of the game because Blackshear tied a career high with eight assists mm-hmm. and he had no turnovers. So you look, Corey, at the kind of games KJ's had, and you've talked about since J-Rob's gone away but even before he went away the North Carolina game when he had 10 offensive rebounds I believe 1911 on the road he he was a beast that game what a shame I thought that might have been the best game of his career uh, to that point maybe maybe he's had one better in that sense I don't know but but I thought not necessarily from a from a statistical standpoint but just how he played and how he competed in that game I thought he was awesome and it's such a shame that Robinson and Blackshear got in foul trouble because they were playing really well that night too and and if those two guys are playing that well on the perimeter and Blackshear is just bossing it in the paint like he was doing that night then Virginia Tech's a really tough team to beat 
he he just keeps finding ways to produce though. I feel like different ways you ask him to you task him with different assignments, whether he passes or scores or rebounds, he can really do it all. He's he's having a great year. Yeah, and I was really impressed with his kind of inside out game, them throwing to him kind of in the middle of the zone last night and him finding a guy on the outside, whether it's finding Ty Outlaw or finding uh, Ahmed Hill to then cut to the basket or whatever it might be. He was really um I don't know, just smart in his decisions and, and making the right decision in those moments. And he does have some little nifty moves down low that I think has grown over his career. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a guy that I would be hesitant of earlier in his career when you throw it down to him. But now it's it's almost like last night uh, you wanted the ball and carry Blackshear's hands down low in the paint and just want him to create whether that was going at uh, their center or whether that was finding someone else on the perimeter. He's most definitely the most versatile big man Virginia Tech has ever had, at least as far as I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, and and I, think, I think that versatility really comes from growing up overseas and seeing kind of a different style of basketball. Because really, he's, sometimes you look at him and, and you think, man, that guy plays like a small forward in a center's body. But yet he also has post moves, and he's developed post moves and things like that. So I, I wish his, his foot was normal, and he, and he could put uh, all his weight, so to speak, on that left foot because I think it, that really limits what he can do with his left hand. I think he gets, it gets off balance because he's not putting all his weight down on his left foot, and he, and he overplays with his right sometimes, so that makes him – a little easier to defend, but consider that's and that's a major deficiency, honestly. And considering that major deficiency, he's still a really tough guy to guard, apparently for, for opponents. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think he's a really good player. Um, glad he's got another year. Redshirt junior, and uh, we'll be talking about Stetson later in the podcast. And the reason I bring <laughs> it up is because I wanted. To, I don't feel like a lot of people know, as you touched mm-hmm. on, Kerry uh, Blackshear's uh, parents playing. Ba- uh, basketball professionally and at the college level uh, his dad played basketball at Stetson where he's the A-Sun player of the year graduated his school's all-time leading score and then he went on to play uh, 10 years overseas right and his mom played basketball at Stetson she, she did um, does it say in there where he was born Kerry Blackshear Jr. was born I want to say yeah Orlando Florida is his home hometown not, I think he was born in Spain though. but let's see it, it should say personal on Hokiesports.com, terrific website. It does not say where he was born. It does not say where he was born. I think he was – I know he spent at least 10 years in in Spain, I believe, when he was growing up. And uh, I, I, he, he contributed very early to Virginia Tech. Like, he was a good player as, as a freshman. Not as good as he is now, but you could see the talent in him when he was a freshman. And uh, I, I think having that background – around basketball, overseas, around people like his parents. Uh, he's a little more more worldly, I would I would say, for, for, for a guy his age than, than other players his age. So uh, I, I really like Blackshear. Uh, I, wish, I wish that foot could get fixed um, or whatever the issue is there. I don't know because I think it would make him more athletic and he could go, potentially go from a really good player to a dominant player. All right, so buy or sell, Coach Josh Passner last night. Blackshear being the MVP of the game mm-hmm. last night. Buy or sell? Buy. Yeah, I think when the offense runs through your center at the top of the key, he's playing on the high post like that, and he can dish out eight assists while also scoring 16 points. Oh, and he had four steals. 
I mean, that's a pretty good day at the office. Definite MVP in my book. Going off of my uh, PTI, my favorite segment, buy or sell. You buy or sell Blackshear's MVP last night? I'm going to buy it as well. Uh, you, like Chris mentioned, offense really ran through him. And for that to be running through your five, you don't hear that too often. So it was really much needed in, in the absence of Robinson not running the offense to have another guy that it went through and ended up being Blackshear last night. And you mentioned Pastner said that. How about his little antics on the sideline the entire game too? I know. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed it, but just the, yeah. the student section was having a blast just watching Ca- him. Castle Guard had a funny gif during the game. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what, I, I, I want to give a quick shout out because Castle Guard, uh, there are a couple of people on Guard who I know who listen to the podcast and are big fans. I feel like they are they're crushing it this year. They uh, they show up early too. Like like I got there last night probably like seven twenty or seven twenty five, and I went to put my stuff down there at my seat. And a good chunk of the student section, particularly the Castle Guard section, was already there. So yeah, they're doing a great job. Well, they're doing a great job of giving away tickets, and they've got the defend the castle banner. This oh, year. I think that's a great addition. Uh, my only complaint is when they and this isn't about Castle Guard itself. It's it's that area of the arena. You know, when Virginia Tech tore out the old seats and put in the new seats two years ago, they put in those new seats in the student section, and the students don't need those seats because they don't sit down anyway. Nobody sits down. They should have put metal bleachers in there and called that area of Castle the north end zone of Castle Coliseum because students love – they make a point to try to sit in the north end zone at football games. Honestly, I'm afraid that thing's going to collapse one day because more people are in that area than it should be. Mm-hmm. But But – I think students really would have embraced an idea like that, where there's metal bleachers and it's pretty much exactly like the north end zone. Um, I, 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 instead of giving them chairs that they're not using? I'll say this, Corey. Have you ever sat in the student section in football before? Yeah, so my, my sophomore year I sat north end zone that year. And I tell you what, I've only sat in there one time. It was the UVA game. And I tell you what, when Enter Sandman comes on, it is so it is different. A wild scene over I mean, there. people are just—I mean—banging on the metal, and mm-hmm. it is—I mean—way louder than I think any other part of the stadium. It's—it's it's truly a uh, a sight to see. If you haven't been, you got to experience it sometime. But uh, getting back on track, yes, Blackshear spent his first seven years of his life um, in Spain. Mike yep. Barber wrote about that uh, okay. a couple of years ago. So. Blackshear, great game. Keeping on with Virginia Tech's big 76-68 win over Georgia Tech. They snap a quick losing streak. Uh, their last one coming against Clemson last Saturday, and they'll take on Pitt next week. I want to talk a little bit more about Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He had 16 last night. You mentioned you think that him playing less minutes helped him more and get a little bit of a breather. He's played now four games, really, as that split point guard with Beattie. How would you see? How would you say he has transitioned into that role? Have you seen him take steps every game since? I wouldn't say I'd seen him take steps. He just doesn't look comfortable there to me. I, I don't think you can use the Georgia Tech game as a great example because it really didn't seem like Virginia Tech was operating with a traditional point guard last night. I mean, they were running it through Blackshear against a one-three-one zone at the top of the key. Uh, his turnovers have been very high. His assists have been very low. I don't think he's transitioned to it particularly well, but at the same time, he's not playing next to another Nikhil Alexander-Walker, right? I mean, he's passing to Wabi Sabidi, who is afraid to shoot the basketball right now. And I can't say I blame him because the last time he did shoot it, he went 0 of 7. Uh, and I think B's a great defensive player, great defensive player, and a good rebounder mm-hmm. for a guard. But he lacks assertiveness on offense right now, and I, and I think he lacks confidence on, on that end of the ball. So... He, Alexander Walker needs some help, and 
I don't think he's necessarily getting it against tight man-to-man defenses. When you, I think it, you know, it's not a good to play zone against Virginia Tech. You know, even against this Virginia Tech team, I think you need to be assertive against this Virginia Tech team. That with Robinson out, lacks a natural guy to run the show. Um, I think if you get up in their face, get up in their grill, be really assertive defensively, you really throw their offense out of rhythm. And you're not going to do that sitting back in his own like Georgia Tech did last night. You're going to do it by doing what Clemson did, extending your defense out outside the three-point line. So it'll be interesting to see how Pitt plays it on Sunday night. Um, I think Alexander Walker's a, a great talent, and I think at this time next year he'll be in the NBA. But I, I don't think – I'm not saying that he has that he's handled it poorly or anything. I just don't think with the with the other personnel that's on the team, it's conducive to him having success right now, in my opinion. Talking about, I want to touch on Wabisa Beatty real quick because you mentioned the defense that he played last night. He only shot the ball one time. He yeah. was one for one with two points. However, his his defense really oh, yeah. does show. And I think that when J-Rob comes back, he will be able to kind of go back into that role where he could be a stellar defensive I, player. And, uh-huh. and the pressure's not going to be on him as much to score. Is that yeah, fair? Oh, absolutely fair. Um, you know, the only time people have had anything bad to say about Beatty this year was when that 10-minute stretch in the UNC game when he had to run the show by himself with, with with Alexander Walker on the bench and Robinson on the bench in foul trouble. And then ever since Justin Robinson got got hurt, that's when people have talked about Beatty. Um, when he had both those guys in the lineup with him and he could just focus on defense and he didn't need a fifth scorer in the lineup, he's great. Uh, but you need a little more scoring from that position right now. You saw his minutes went down last night. He only played 19. And Isaiah Wilkins – Minutes went up to 28, and that's a guy we haven't talked about yet. Nine points, six rebounds, had that big offensive rebound in traffic and the putback. Uh, so, Beattie is a great defender, but right now, you know, Virginia Tech's playing very good team defense. So, can you take Beattie off for 10 minutes and give Isaiah Wilkins an extra 10 minutes and help yourself out offensively? Last night, that happened. And that's what I was about to transition into because I, I think that the – the one storyline that won't get enough credit, or not necessarily credit, but it won't get talked about enough, was Isaiah Wilkins. Arguably, his best game was a hokey. If you want to count the Gardner-Webb game when he scored, I think, 15 in the opening game. I think it was 21. 21. All right, so yeah. maybe that. But his best ACC game yes, yeah. in a new role. I mean, Wilkins last night, 28 minutes. He was 2 of 3 from deep, 3 of 6 from the field, 9 points. Uh, he did have three personal fouls, and he had six rebounds. And I believe he also had either six or seven against North Carolina State. So to yeah. be able to get that kind of production from the guard, really important. I'm excited to watch Wilkins the rest of the way, Corey. Yeah, and I think – I don't know if you want to say the ball found him or he found the ball, but, like, every loose rebound, it yeah. seemed like he just came up with it. Everyone that was just kind of juggling between a couple guys' hands, he would end up with it. And I think you said six rebounds. I think four or five of them were offensive if I'm not mistaken. You're correct, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, he, it was huge last night. Um, one of them in particular led led out to they were able to reset the offense and I think got a big three out of it, if I'm not mistaken, at one point and really just really made the, the hustle plays, I guess you want to call them, the, the effort plays, whatever you want to call them. He was the guy making those plays last night and really uh, underrated 28 minutes from Wilkins. Yeah, he, his, Wilkins was, was going to be in next year's class. 
But then Virginia Tech offered him, and he was able to reclassify and come in this season. They brought him in after summer school. You know, he, he didn't get a chance to come in like most guys do over the summer. He didn't come in until August. He was like a regular student, and he was overweight. And I think he dropped like 20, 25 pounds or something like that really quickly. And they were going to redshirt him. Correct. Um, and I expect the Chris Clark situation has something to do with that. And Lander's Nolly situation has something to do with that. Um, but, but he's a guy who just – I don't think he'll ever be a star because he's not a great athlete, but he knows how to play, I think. He's, he's going to be that guy one day walking to a gym when he's 40 or 50 years old and people are going to look at him and say, that guy can't play, and then he just schools him because he's got some <laughs> old man's game that nobody can handle. It's a great – it's an in-depth analogy there, CC. <laughs> yeah, it is. Are there guys like that at the gym you are at right now? That uh, you I'm, not much, I'm not much of a hoopster anymore, but, uh, yeah, there have been in the past for I, sure. I tell you what, if you want to go play uh, basketball during the week at McComas here at Virginia Tech, there are some intense uh, uh, see, basketball yeah, when games. When I used to do it, I would go to War Memorial. It was uh, uh-huh. uh, that a little was, lighter competition. Yes, yeah, so I was about to say it's go. not so much the competition that I was worried about. You're more likely to get into a fight at McComas yeah, because people true. take it so seriously <laughs> yeah. over there. So seriously, and I, and I like playing pickup basketball, but I don't want to get into a fight they over like it. It's game seven of the NBA. Uh, they really, some of there. them really do. Yeah, uh, you uh, and uh, people are not afraid to call fouls too because you you know you call our own fouls and uh, uh-huh. yeah. There's no doubt. I would rather go to war because a uh, yeah. little little bit of uh, of course an easier competition. Everyone's friends in the end, but. Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting analogy there um, on Wilkins. So again, wrapping up, Texas uh, win over Georgia Tech, seventy six sixty eight. They pick up their eighth ACC win, and here we go. They go to Pittsburgh on Sunday, uh, Saturday rather. Uh, Saturday. Saturday. Yes. Saturday. Four thirty. Odd tip off time. Yes. Um, and listen, Pittsburgh. I, I I think Will said it best on the podcast. Like, no matter what sport it is, anytime a tech team goes to Pittsburgh, That's... everybody gets a little nervous by yourself. Is that true? When you That's see absolutely this... true. And you know, it doesn't. Everybody thinks football on Heinz Field when they think about that curse. But Virginia Tech got eliminated from the NCAA tournament last year in men's basketball in the city of Pittsburgh. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so no, nothing good ever happens to Virginia Tech in that city. It's it's just a just a. I, I had a good time in Pittsburgh, so I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. But from a Virginia Tech sports standpoint, that is an awful place. <laughs> I would like to go back when Virginia Tech is not playing there and take in a baseball game or something because that's a really nice park and I enjoyed the city very much. I don't want anything Virginia Tech sports related to ever happen in that city again, but unfortunately, it's going to have to because they're in the Coastal Division. Uh, that being said, man, I think they've lost six in a row now. The Pittsburgh, yes. yes. They're struggling, but there's no doubt after a winless year in the ACC a season ago, Jeff, better. Jeff Capel has brought new energy and new mm-hmm. life into that program. There's no question about it. Yeah, and the thing is, I, I think Ch- Capel's an okay coach. I don't think he's ACC elite. I don't, think, I don't think over the long haul he can compete with ACC elite coaches. That's my opinion. I look back on his career at Oklahoma and – he was really good when he had Blake Griffin, and they were awful when they didn't have Blake Griffin. And uh, I, I just so – I don't think that's going to work out. I, I mean, I, I you knew it's going to be an upgrade this year because you can't get worse than 0-18, right? Very true. Yeah, you just can't get – so I, I think some of it maybe is him improving them. But honestly, if you look at overall resumes between him and uh, – oh, gosh, what was the name of the guy that – that he replaced Stallings. Yeah, Kevin Stallings. Kevin Stallings. Kevin Stallings has a better overall resume in his head coaching career. Did a good job at Vanderbilt. 
did not have Blake Griffin either. Uh, so I, I'm just not all that high on, on him as a coach, to be honest with you. I don't think he's bad, but I don't think he's ACC elite. I, I don't. I don't think he's Brad Brownell level either. I, I just. Uh, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. I don't know. I mean, he went back and he was an assistant at Duke after his tenure at Oklahoma. So maybe he learned some things, and looking back, he has more perspective now, and he'll do a better job. When he was at VCU before he was at Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, I believe you're right. He was one of the youngest coaches in NCAA. Everybody does well at VCU, though. VCU takes non-qualifiers. They have have a bigger pool of players they can recruit. I mean, Shaka Smart is great at VCU, right? And they're ready to run him off at Texas. Uh, Anthony Grant, great at VCU. They fired him at Alabama. Uh, it's VCU is, I'm not going to say it's an easy job because no job is easy, but it's an easier job. Well, you know what's funny about VCU is actually Shaka Smart's coaching tree is actually doing really well. Um, Will Wade at LSU, LSU has done a terrific job. Mike Jones at Radford has done a terrific job. Mike Rhodes at VCU. There was a really rough patch when they went through their third coach and I believe like five or six years with Shaka mm-hmm. and then Wade. Yeah. And Mike Rhodes got they're the best team in the A-10 right now. Sure. And there's a couple I've always other... heard great things about Mike Rhodes as a coach, too, he's, when he was an assistant. He's a local guy from well, Richmond. Right. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I Shaka got all the credit. I'm not 100% sure that he's a better coach than – those assistants have turned into, to be honest with you. Uh, I think I think Shaka's gone to Texas, and Shaka had that system at VCU, and he recruited to that system. Mm-hmm. But now he can he can go to Texas and recruit upper-level four-star and five-star players, and he's probably fallen in love with that a little too much and just needs to recruit some guys who fit his system. And uh, I, I don't think he's done a great job of doing that. And I don't, maybe they'll figure that out. Maybe they won't give him enough time to figure that out. Well, it, 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 I love how we've gone from Jeff Cave, Let's a Beauty of Podcast, to <laughs> VCU. To, to VCU. To, I'll say this. Corey and I from Richmond, though, we were both in middle school when VCU went to the Final, Final Four. Four. That yeah. was one of the most unbelievable scenes, being in just a part of the city of Richmond. Yeah. That was incredible to yeah. see them get well, to see, the now, Final Four. I remember four. when George Mason went to the Final Four. Okay, that yeah. was, what, 04? Yeah, something, something like that, mm-hmm. yeah. So, all right, well, let's get back to the Pittsburgh game. Looking at it, uh, you've, got, you've got your paper in front of you. Uh, I'll ask you this. Even though going to Pittsburgh scares you, should mm-hmm. the Hokies be afraid of this Panthers team? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you go on the road in the ACC, you have a chance to get beat, um, particularly when you're missing the guy who leads the school and assists all time, Justin Robinson. So Virginia Tech can very much lose to Pittsburgh. Uh, but it's also a great chance to get a road win. Uh, we sat on this po- podcast last week, and you said, next three games, what do you expect? What would make you happy? And I said, and I, and I said two out of three would make me very happy. Three out of three would make me ecstatic, but I was expecting one in three. You did say Well, that. I've got my one. <laughs> I've got my one. And now I'm greedy, and I want two, because that would make me very happy. So two out of three here. And that would put Virginia Tech three and two without Justin Robinson. You know, I would take that. Um, so I think I think Virginia Tech does have a good chance to win that game on Saturday, uh, despite the fact that it's in Pittsburgh. But I want to see them get better against man defense with their new offense. We saw them light up Georgia Tech last night, but that was a one-three-one zone. What are they going to do when they face a team that pushes out and gets aggressive on them and gets up in their faces? How are they going to handle that? Corey, uh, UVA comes to Blacksburg for Big Monday next week, so this one could be very important to mm-hmm. pick up a road win like Chris said against Pitt. Yeah, and you look at Pitt this year, you mentioned six straight losses, but before that they had beat 
Florida State at mm-hmm. home, and they had beat Louisville at home. So they do have yeah. the players there to beat, um, you know, good ACC teams at home. So it is a game that kind of scares me as a Virginia Tech fan, um, especially without Robinson. But I don't know. I feel like, like we've mentioned, this is just kind of a game that you look at the upcoming schedule of, of course, UVA and Duke still on the schedule. You kind of look at this one and you think this is a game we should win. We kind of have to win. Um, so yeah, odd time at four thirty. That is an odd time. But we'll, 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 I'm yeah, like like Chris mentioned, I'm interested to see how they kind of look against a team that runs a more traditional defense. And one thing I kind of noticed even last night was that Ahmed Hill, he's of course not been the same shooter um, since Robinson has gone out. But I thought really that was the first time we saw him kind of in transition again hmm. last night and really since the Syracuse game where he had three or four dunks in transition, we really kind of saw Ahmed Hill. He is the most athletic guy on Virginia Tech's roster, and he was really finally getting in transition again a little bit last night. So hoping more of that continues to be the same against Pitt. You're right, and Ahmed Hill is a much better player when the game is being played at a fast tempo. Playing at a slow tempo, which Virginia Tech had been doing, does not suit Ahmed Hill at all. So you lose Justin Robinson, but you also lose probably production of others. Yeah, 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 yeah. You certainly lose production. Now, it helps Wabi Sabidi to slow the game down. It helps Nikhil to slow the, the game down when he's playing a different position. It helps Kerry Blackshear to, when you slow the game down. But it really, really limits Ahmed Hill because that, that's just not his style of play at that, all. That is a great point because he struggled um, – from the outside since Jay Robin, he was one of six last night. But you, you're 100 percent right. It's a great observation, Corey. When they get in transition, we talk about how quick the backcourt is attacked. But who normally finishes those fast breaks? And it's <laughs> Hill. Mean, yeah. You know, uh, te- Tech fans have a uh, habit. They always want the best basketball player to play football, because or the, or vice versa sometimes. Because uh, you, know, you had guys like Brian Randall and Jeff King, and you know they they wanted uh, Isaiah Ford to play basketball, blah blah blah. But uh, I think they wanted Devin Wilson to play football, and he did play football. They're like, man, this guy was a good wide receiver. He, you know, he must be a good athlete. Well, no, Devin was a mediocre athlete. If you wanted anybody from the Tech basketball team to play football and be a wide receiver, it would be Ahmed Hill. That's who you should be picking. Um, not that he's going to do it, and he shouldn't do it, because he's got an overseas basketball career ahead of him where he can make six figures. Uh, there's no reason to risk that playing college football. We're not going to make any money at all. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I, th- I think Ahmed Hill is a top-notch athlete. Um, I don't know if he's like a natural basketball player, but he's a great athlete, and he's a good fit for this system when this system is getting downhill and playing fast and everything like that. All right, I just had a random question pop up very quickly because you mentioned you want to see him play football. Who would you rather see play at the NFL? Zion Williamson or LeBron James? What intrigues you more? Because both have the size, and people have always said they could play. So if you could pick one, put LeBron at tight end, and put Zion at like D end, or you put him at tight end, who would you rather see? I'll uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to go with LeBron just because that's the name. LeBron is LeBron. And to see him on the outside as receiver for the Browns or whoever it might be, <laughs> that would be quite a sight to see. Uh, there's always been the jokes. I think there was even a commercial one time about that or something along those lines. So LeBron is the name. Zion still has – he can make him that name known in the NBA and whatnot, but I'm going to go with LeBron for now. Yeah, I think I would have to say LeBron, too. I think it would be the bigger spectacle 
if he decided he wanted to play in an NFL game one day. I'll go LeBron, but I would love to see Zion. I would like, yeah, yeah I think yeah, it would be fun, yeah. Uh, he is actually um, taller than any Duke defensive end, I believe they put out there on the football team no, right now. It. So, all right, let's do this. Uh, let's wrap up quickly, and then we'll preview baseball. Give me predictions for the game on Saturday. Corey, what you thinking? I'm going to go Hokies win 65-61, low-scoring battle, kind of ground, grind-it-out type game. Um, Pitt, you know, they – like we've mentioned, six straight losses. I'm kind of hoping, you know, that trend continues on Saturday. So I'm going to say uh, the Hokies get it done. Another big game by Blackshear, I say, in that one. Yeah, uh, good pick. Now, what, what concerns me? Now, I said earlier that Pitt, the city of Pittsburgh itself concerns me. and that, But, oh, it's a good thing that Pitt's lost six in a row. But I also believe that basketball is the law of averages. Um, you know, it, you're, you're not going to win every game in basketball, right? And you're not going to lose every game. Uh, although Pitt did lose every ACC game last year, so there are, there are exceptions to that rule. But they've lost six in a row, so they got to win at some point, right? I think it's six in a row. I, th- I think that's what I saw yesterday. It might be five, but they've lost a lot of games in a row now. Um, they got to win at some point, right? The law of averages says they is, have to is, win. Is Chris and, Coleman about to do this? And, 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 if, and if they're going to win, it would be at home against a vulnerable team that's missing its best player. That would be their biggest chance to win. Uh, th- that said, I'm gonna. I'm like Corey. I, I think Tech will grind it out. I mean, just be ugly. Maybe it'll look like that first Georgia Tech win back in January. But uh, but but they'll they'll get it done. Uh, and, you know, not 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 a lot of pretty things happen in Pittsburgh. You know, even the Steelers. They're always like this traditional win in the trenches but we're not going to pass for 400 yards although you know big ben's a good quarterback and everything like that but uh it's always been an old school type of a sports town so uh tech will have to win in an old school way on saturday and if my math isn't deceiving me it looks like it's actually eight straight losses what oh my gosh so there are even more to so the last win was january 14th against florida state so that exactly a month ago there you have it, folks. It's going to be an entertaining one. I'm sure we'll have Chris. I don't know cool. about entertaining. I don't know about entertaining. <laughs> yeah, It'll be. It's right going to be close. It's going to be a close <laughs> ACC basketball game. I'm sure Chris, or uh, on his personal or on the tech sideline account, will have some tweets going on during the game, right? Yeah, well, I think Will generally handles those road games, but yeah, we'll have we'll have, we'll have tweets for sure. Fantastic. All right, let's step aside for a break. When we come back, Corey is in the house. Uh, that was a Disney show back in the day, Corey in the house. But, no, literally, Corey's in the house, TSL baseball beat writer. We're going to talk Hokies baseball as they open up their season this week in Florida. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the TSL podcast proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Back on the Tech Sideline podcast recording on Thursday, February 14th. Joined by Chris Coleman, Corey Van Dyke, Evan Hughes with you. Transitioning from Hokie basketball talk into Hokie baseball talk as the spring is here. Corey's got a smile on his face 
and it is that time of the year. Uh, build it in Blacksburg. Year two is a, just about a day, as we're recording on Thursday, from getting underway. Corey, you cover uh, the beat for Tech Sideline. Last year was the first year of the Coach Chef era. They went 21-33, in 33, but a lot of excitement around this program. What are your thoughts and your season outlook for Virginia Tech this year? Yeah, like you mentioned, there is a lot of excitement year two of this. I don't think... Um, any realistic fans had a whole lot of expectations last year for Coach Chef kind of really taking over the roster from years past. Um, but this series, you know, more of his guys are in there now, more of uh, the players he's recruited, whether that's freshmen or Juco guys coming in. I think they have 22 new guys, 21 yeah. new guys this year on their roster of 35, 36 guys. So over half the roster is his guys that he specifically brought in. It's it's almost like we, we've kind of joked now that Fuente year four, it's all his guys. Well, in year two with Coach Chef, it's getting to the point where it's already his new guys. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll be something interesting to watch, of course, is to see uh, kind of the, the challenges of gelling a new group together like that. Um, the one word that he even said during the preseason press conference was patience, and Hokie fans will need to have patience with this team, especially a little bit early. A lot of it will be figuring out roles for this team, but I think you should see an increased product of play uh, for Virginia Tech baseball this year. It's a great atmosphere out there at English Field at Union Park. Um, the atmosphere before that Louisville game last year was fantastic, and then the result was just dreadful. I think they fantastic. lost that one 16-1. to yeah. um, But the atmosphere before that game was kind of showing what a Friday night could be like at Union Field at, or English Field at Union Park, and uh, a lot of excitement for this team. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, Coach Chef can establish in this second year and really to see how they fit. I mean, I think the goal for this team should be to make the ACC tournament. They haven't done that the past three years, and that's really been, you know, only the top the top ten teams out of the 14 teams make it, so only the bottom two in each division don't make it. So I think that is a goal that they can shoot for this year. I wouldn't really expect a whole lot more than that, but really – uh, a lot going on. Baseball season is back. One of the best times of the year, in my opinion. Oh, I'll agree with you on that. Yeah, and if you think about the roster turnover, so 35 players on the baseball team, 21 of them are new. So there are 25 players allowed on an active roster in Major League Baseball. So imagine if, like, 16 or 17 of them were brand-new players from one year to the next, almost an entirely new team. Uh it's like the beginning of the movie Major League when they get the spring training roster and the guy's like, who are these freaking guys? You know, <laughs> the, 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 this is pretty much it. It's just a, it's a bunch of new faces. Now, you know, there will be, be some guys uh, that we do recognize, of course, like, you know, uh, the Owens up the, up the middle of the infield. Ian Seymour starting on Friday nights most likely. Horansky. Uh, Horansky behind the plate. But you're going to see a lot of guys that, that, that are brand new. You're going to be see a lot of new pitchers out there, whether they're starters or coming out of the bullpen. Um, and he's plugged some gaps with some Juco guys like Kerry Carpenter, who's going to start and play a big role in, in the outfield. Uh, I want to talk about the pitching because you mentioned his press conference he had for the preseason last week. And one thing he really talked about a difference from last year to this year is the depth. Uh, Pitching-wise, they have. he feels like he has 10 guys who could be used in any role, whether it's starters, relief. When you look at the, and I know you have to see a lot of some of them for the first time, a couple guys coming back from injury, what do you make of what could potentially be a starting five in the rotation, depending on how he goes, six-man rotation, five-man rotation, and then who could you see coming out of the bullpen? Yeah, so it's 
we're kind of it's a lot of a guessing game right now that during that first weekend where they'll be down in Florida tomorrow is when we'll kind of get the first taste of what it'll look like but I mean Seymour is pretty much locked in as the Friday night starter he's the ace of the team and then really it's kind of a guessing game after that like I mentioned um Nick Enright is a guy who who started in the past uh He's, he came off a Tommy John surgery two years ago and was kind of a little bit limited last year, but he's a guy who started in the past. Luke Scherzer, another guy who started some games and come out of the bullpen, um, had nine saves his freshman year and started some games and threw like four innings uh, usually last year after. He was another guy coming off Tommy John. Um, Connor Yoder, probably the biggest guy on the team. I think someone joked <laughs> Maybe he could the be biggest a power guy in baseball. <laughs> he could be a power forward on the basketball team. He's 6'7", <laughs> 250. Uh, he's a guy that's been injury prone in his career, but really a live arm that we really think could make a difference this year. Um, Juco recruits are even coming in. Two of the guys that started in the Juco National Championship last year are two guys that are coming into the program this year. So obviously, if a team's playing in the Juco National Championship, they had to have been a pretty talented team, pretty talented group of guys, and two of those guys are back. Uh, Jack Dellinger is one of them. And then the other is Peyton Alford. So two guys to maybe watch, uh, keep an eye on. And then, I don't know, it's it's really, you know, a lot of freshmen coming into new faces. So it'll really be where do these guys establish themselves? What kind of roles are established that first weekend? Um, and like you mentioned, the depth was kind of something that hurt them last year pitching-wise. So it's something that he said they're they're much further along this year heading into the season. So... Definitely a, a kind of storyline to watch during the year. And it would good. It would be good to see some guys solidify some roles. Um, you know, in the, in the past, Tech has either had no depth or injuries or both. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, whether it's been uh, John Chef managing the team or Pat Mason before him, on a day-to-day basis, you might not even know who your setup man's going to be or who your closer is going to be because you just didn't have the depth or the health healthy bodies. And they should be better in the in that regard this year. So I, I think by the time mid-March rolls around, uh, by the time they get into the meat of their ACC schedule, I think they should have a better idea of, of those defined roles, and, and that should make them better. And Connor Yoder is somebody who's interesting to me. I mean, you mentioned him being at six foot seven. He's coming off injury. He did go to the Cape Cod League um, last summer, got some experience in one of the top summer collegiate mm-hmm. leagues um, in the country. You know, he's someone who do you feel like could potentially make a difference in this rotation or coming out of the bullpen? Yeah, because I think last year Coach Chef had mentioned him as a guy heading into the season that was going to be. He was coming off Tommy John the previous year, and he was going to be a guy that was going to come in and really be a big arm for him. And he had some kind of injury early in the season, I think, during conditioning or or something along those lines. And that really kept him out pretty much the entire year until the end of ACC play. And then they put him in a couple games, and he wasn't really ready to go. But at the press conference, Chef said he's 100% healthy. He's ready to go out there. He'll get as much opportunity as anyone else to really show what he can do. So I think he's one of the most intriguing names to watch, especially you mentioned um, 6'7", 250s, seeing that on the mound. That's got to intimidate a a hitter going up against that to see a guy that looks like that. And I walked by him the other day, and he is every bit of that 250. He is a, a horse out there pretty much. And I don't know, he's a name to watch for sure and really... I think if he is fully healthy, like Chef mentions, then he really could be a guy, whether that's a starting role or late in the game. And 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 going back to the ace and Ian Seymour, you know he's been in this program. Uh, what 
what can we expect from him this year to build? Because you guys were even, even before we came on the podcast, the excitement you guys, uh, Ian Seymour. I mean, this guy is the ace of this team. There's no solidifying needing from uh, from Seymour. Yeah, I don't think it's close. Now, if somebody uh, if somebody wants to step up and challenge him for that role, they're more than welcome. Because that means Virginia Tech will have a much better pitching staff this year. But I thought he was extremely impressive last year. He was a freshman last year, right? Mm-hmm. Very impressive last year as a freshman. <laughs> and you know, he's got he's got multiple pitches. He's got three pitches. Is it four or three? I think he's got, he's three, got three main pitches. Three yeah. main pitches. Uh, and a key – and you see this every year in the Major League Baseball draft. Um, you see a guy get drafted, and you'll see those analysis go. Whether he can develop a third pitch will decide whether he's gonna he can be a bullpen guy or whether he can be a starter. And you don't have to – that third pitch doesn't have to be, like, dominant. It would help if it would. But even if it's just average, just, just something that you can throw – uh, you know, every now and then to, to keep guys off balance, uh, that makes a big difference at the college level, in, in my opinion. So I, I expect him to take a step forward and be better than he was last year, and he was al- already pretty decent last year. Um, Ryan Fecto has a very good reputation in developing pitchers, so uh, I think this is a very good situation for Tech. And then, Corey, you've got a great article up on TechSideline.com. You just did a, uh, as you're calling a senior spotlight with Luke Scherzer. What did you learn about Luke, and what fascinates you about him? Yeah, I think Luke Scherzer has one of the most interesting stories on the team. He's now a six-year senior um, coming back to do graduate program. He could have left after last year, had a senior day and everything last year. And <laughs> so he kind of joked about that when he was talking to me. He said, I, I don't even know if I'll have another senior day this year, but I'm back. Um, but he was a guy that, uh, let's see, so it's 2019 now. In the 2016 season, heading up to that, had to get Tommy John surgery from an injury the previous year in May at the end of that year. And then was coming back for the 2017 season, my freshman year, was ready to be, you know, a main guy for them in, in practice leading up to that season. His arm snaps again, so he has to get Tommy John surgery for the second time in a row, out two years in a row with Tommy John surgery. So he's really a guy that battled through adversity to come back, could have easily given up his career at that point, you know, going through two major surgeries and recoveries during that time where it's pretty much a whole year-long recovery but he's back, and he really shows that he's a team guy that's you know, going to be a mentor for some of those younger guys on the team, a guy that's been around since you know, 2014. So he's been around the ballpark a time or two and really a guy that I think will show kind of what it, what it takes to be an ACC-level guy. He might not be a guy that blows you away with his stuff out there on the mound, but really just like you hear, kind of hear the term a true professional um, about some players, and I think that really applies to Scherzer. Uh, talking with Corey Van Dyke, Tech Sideline uh, baseball beat writer and football. We've got Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes, along with you for the TSL podcast, recording on Thursday, February the 14th, Valentine's Day uh, to be exact. Shifting from the pitching department and looking at this team infield-wise, Luke uh, Hransky's back behind the plate. That's a familiar face. And then you've got the Owens up the middle that are not related to each not other. Related. Uh, but that's kind of funny that they are both up the middle. And uh, you also have a spotlight up online about Nick Owens. Uh, that can be available on TechSideline.com. Previewing this infield, tell uh, tell our listeners somebody that the the faces that we can expect to be back and some some new uh, faces in the infield. Yeah, so you mentioned the the two Owens up the middle at second base is Jack Owens. He's going to be you know pretty much every day second baseman will be the guy leading off pretty much every game. Um, he's really kind of the tone setter at the top of the lineup. Didn't have the greatest year last year. Hit two sixty six after hitting. 358 the year before so really 
a step down, but if you have a guy that's able to hit 358 in ACC play, he's obviously got some major talent. Um, talks to him about that earlier this week, and that'll be out in a Spotlight article tomorrow, I believe. Talks to him about that, and he said he's a guy that's really just too hard on himself sometimes, and he was too hard on himself last year, really kind of lost confidence because of that. But with a fresh season in front of him, I think he could really be a guy that's you know hitting in the 300s again, really setting the tone at the top of that lineup. So he'll be at second base uh, the entire year. Um, shortstop will likely be Nick Owens, the other Owens there. Uh, he's another guy, came, started his career at NC State, um, was behind Trey Turner during that time, <laughs> Nationals, uh, of course, shortstop slash outfielder, and uh, just didn't work out there. He ended up going to St. John's River, or St. John's River is State College, so junior college there. Uh, spent two years there, was really a um, great, great player there, showed his potential, came to Virginia Tech last year. Uh, batted 274 while he said he was dealing with a somewhat broken slash hurt wrist most of the year. I don't know how you hit. So, mm. yeah, because I, I remember even one game where he pretty much just bunted up there, gave a little half yeah. swing at it. So uh, if he's completely healthy, another guy that could, you know, maybe either bat second or bat at the end of the lineup and be a guy that, you know, will hopefully hit close to 300 again, be an on-base percentage guy. Uh, so those are kind of the two givens in the infield. I'd say Mikey Fernandez is maybe the guy at third base. Uh, he was a freshman last year coming back, kind of filled in after Sam Fergale, their big hitter last year, moved from third base to first base. So I'd expect him to be back. And then first base is kind of up in the air. Um, a guy to look out for maybe is Nick Bittison. Uh, me and you both kind of recognize him because he's from the Richmond area, went to St. Christopher's uh, School we're both familiar with. And he's really a guy that – Coach Elbin, uh, the hitting coach, mentioned early in the year about him really being a guy who's mature beyond his years even. I think he's a guy that will find some reps, whether that's at first base or somewhere else in the lineup. Yeah, you're right. We, 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 you know, I, I can remember Nick Bittison back in his middle school days when he was taking Glen Allen youth to uh, the World Series. I mean, this has kind of been a kid in the 804 that everyone's kind of known. He has a really bright future. He was committed to North Carolina at one point, and then Tech was able to flip him, I want to say, about a year, year and a half ago. Um, so to me, that's actually one of the bigger signings that Coach Chef has had oh, yeah. is Nick Bittes, and I think he's someone very excited. I'm, I'm personally excited to watch this. Yeah, year. I mean, when you consider the history of the UNC baseball program and the facilities they have there, Google UNC see baseball locker room i mean that thing is insane uh they, they've spent a lot of money on uh their facilities but you know now virginia tech has spent a lot of money on their facilities as well and uh john chef came in with a reputation of winning a lot of baseball games everywhere he's been in the past so naturally recruiting's gonna jump up a little bit and, and it has um take a year or two to uh for those guys to gel and, and everything and, and i think i think last year was pretty much a th kind of a throwaway year um, this year, you're, you're going to be able to see a jump, and the next year, almost everybody comes back, and you're going to see another jump. And uh, and, I, and I, so I, I think John Chef's a really good coach, and I think his, his staff is great. I think he's hired a really good staff, really smart with his uh, assistant coaching hires. Uh, but you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, so <laughs> it's, it's going to take a while. Um, looking at the outfield, what can we expect? Yeah, so if you go on the Hokie Sports um, to look at the baseball roster right now, there's only three outfielders listed. <laughs> um, so presumably those are the three guys that will fill the outfield. I'm sure some of the guys that are lift, listed as 
infielders will kind of work their way out there. But uh, the senior coming back, Nick Menken, he's a guy out there. He'll be center fielder. Dealing with a little bit of an injury right now, so not sure if he'll be ready for the first weekend series. Uh, but typically he'll be the guy uh, at the top of the lineup or kind of in the middle. Really a spectacular defender. Uh, made some amazing diving catches last year. Really a guy that just kind of controls the outfield there. Kind of you can count on him to go get some stuff in the gap, really take away some base hits. So he's a guy who'll be out there. Um, Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast, Kerry Carpenter. A guy coming back, um, not coming back, excuse me, but coming in as a JUCO transfer. And he's a guy that every single coach that I've talked to is, whether it's been a pitching coach, hitting coach, or coach chef, they've raved about him and really think that he's going to be a guy that will fit into the lineup right away and be middle-of-the-order type hitter. So really looking forward to, to even seeing what he does. Um, even coach chef kind of gave the example of, of what's kind of the benefits versus um, kind of pros and cons of JUCO transfers and he was giving the example of sometimes they leave after a year because they might get drafted and he gave the example yeah. of Kerry Carpenter yeah. being a guy that might leave after getting drafted and you only get one year with him and the fact that he would even mention that means that he has a whole <laughs> lot of confidence yeah. in Kerry Carpenter um, so he's a guy and then Dalton Harum is the other guy that's slotted right there right now uh, another JUCO transfer hit high 300s in his juco wherever he was and uh he seems to fill another another corner outfield spot and of course like i said there will be some other guys maybe thrown out there as well and then talking about the opening weekend for Virginia Tech, and we're recording on Thursday, so they will open up their season tomorrow and Friday. Uh, they're down in Florida at the Rycast Classic. They'll be going up against Stetson on Friday, Manhattan on Saturday, Sam Houston State on Sunday. And even though, you know, it's funny, I, I'll say this about softball and other sports, I think sometimes when you hear schools' names, I automatically think about football and men's basketball and kind of mesh the programs together, but I tell you what, Stetson, really good program. Sam Houston State, 39 and 20 last year. And by the way, the Hatters of Stetson, 48 and 13 a year ago. So this could be some st- some tough competition to begin the year. Yeah, and Stetson last year, it's also uh, the home of 2018 Cy Young winner Jacob DeGrom. Little uh, history there. They are a team that made it all the way to the Super Regionals last <laughs> year before losing to UNC. So you might see the name Stetson and kind of laugh at that, but they are certainly no slouch in baseball. Yeah, I believe uh, Chipper Jones' father played for Stetson okay. when he was. Mm. In, yeah, I believe I read that in his autobiography when I was uh, when I bought it last summer. But uh, yeah, Chipper grew up in Florida around that area, and his dad played there. So they're historically a very good baseball program. Uh, you know, you don't have to have a lot of money to win a baseball championship. You just have to. Be, be dedicated to the, the sport and have good weather. Yeah, be in a place like Florida, and that'll certainly help. That, that'll certainly help. You know, Coastal Carolina won the national championship. Beautiful a school. Years ago. Beautiful school, wonderful location if you want to recruit baseball players. Turquoise uh, football field? <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're, uh, they, they're, that's their brand now, yeah. apparently. I want to close with this on the baseball discussion. We've got Corey here, our tech sideline uh, baseball beat writer in football. And, Chris, um, guys, this is really going to be the first year that – it, the uh, that English field is going to be completely finished. Yeah. Uh, you last year it was basically all but finished by the time the season ended. But now that it's done, now that it's here, uh, what do you guys think about the job that Virginia Tech has done? And uh, just the when you walk in and watch a game, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's really good. I, I think you know, obviously they stayed true to the architecture of Virginia Tech. The entrance pretty much looks like Lane Stadium's wet west stands. Uh, I think they're. Uh, 
what they did down the uh, right field line or, or first base line with the uh, the beer garden and the tables and everything like that has been great. All those tables sold out at a thousand bucks a pop, which means they probably didn't charge enough. Uh, so uh, I, I, they'll probably look into adding more of those. I would if I were them. Uh, but I yeah, I think it's a fantastic experience if you like baseball. I just wish we could change Blacksburg weather to a certain extent. Because a home opener next Tuesday right now, a high of 38 and 80% chance of precipitation. It's not exactly baseball weather. Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, before all the, the building in Blacksburg stuff and all the renovations came this past year, Virginia Tech was really at the bottom of the ACC in baseball facilities. And now they've kind of jumped their way up. They're, of course, not going to be at a level like UNC or like Clemson, some of those teams. But or Louisville, I think, is spectacular. Oh, ridiculous, yeah. yeah. They're not going to get to that level, but they are kind of, you know, it does look like an ACC-level stadium now. Mm-hmm. It does look like ACC-level facilities. The fans don't necessarily see some of the training facilities and the clubhouse and stuff like that, but even all of that stuff now has gotten up to ACC level, not what it was in the past. So that, of course, helps with recruiting as well, and it helps with building the culture there of what, Coach Chef wants Virginia Tech baseball to become. Uh, Corey, where can our uh, followers, if they're not following already, which they should be, but on Twitter, I'm sure you'll be having some, some baseball updates this weekend. How can people follow along? Yes, so you can follow on the official TSL baseball account. That's right. Is a TSL two underscore Double underscore. Double underscore yeah. in baseball. And we will have, uh, you know, updates from throughout the weekend. We'll have, of course, articles the entire year long. Uh, have some feature stories already planned out so looking forward to uh, the year ahead make sure you follow that account yep and uh you've got two features up there right now on owens and uh, scherzer so be sure to check that out season starts tomorrow yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. And I do want to shout out again because we're in full we're in full swing now. Of spring sports once baseball gets going. Oh my gosh! And it starts spring practice so early this year. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. We're in the middle of like February March third or something. Uh, lacrosse got off to a good start against Bucknell, fourteen to four win last week. They did fall to the defending national champs JMU uh, last night at home, fourteen to eight was the final score there. Quick turnaround. They'll host number twenty Colorado on Saturday at home, and then they're home at against Cincinnati next Wednesday, and then that'll complete their four-game home stand to start. trip for Colorado. And I know Virginia Tech went out there last year. They did. They did. And Tech actually lost them 18-3 last year. One of their, that was, that was uh, not – that was one of the few bad performances correct. of the John Song era. Correct. Yes. But I think they'll be hungry um, for that one on Wednesday. And i got to give a shout-out to softball since we've been talking about baseball oh, too. Man, start. Off to a terrific start. 5-0 and last weekend. Caitlin Nolan, one of the Division One National Players of the Week. She's batting over 700. Jeez. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 Um, had a <laughs> terrific weekend. They beat Wichita State last week, who was receiving votes. Uh Keely Rochard was uh, named ACC Co-Pitcher of the Week. She threw two shutouts. She's a sophomore back in the rotation, um, and she's already making a lot of jumps from freshman year to sophomore year. Of course, Carrie Everly doing her thing. But, uh, again, I mean, Pete DeMoor is doing a lot of exciting things with this softball program, and uh, I think it's going to be a great year for softball, baseball, spring sports. Mm-hmm. So, um, and yeah, next week we'll have updates on uh, baseball, see how they did. And we are already over an hour. I told myself we would cut it off at an hour, but uh, we want to close the podcast today. It is Valentine's Day. I hope everybody has a great day. We love the fact that we have great followers here at Tech Sideline. But here's the one question I want to pose. We'll spend five minutes on this. The one tech player of all time that you absolutely love. Any sport, any time, 
whether you saw him play or not, who's that one player that Chris Coleman, oh, I love that dude. Jamon Gordon for basketball. My type of player, man. That dude was just tough. I remember a 6'3 guard, he goes out there and gets 16 rebounds one time. And another game he had 14 rebounds. And uh, just, just, just my type of player. Great defensive player. I believe he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year as a senior. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, for, for me, it's Jamon Gordon. Okay. Corey, any sport? Who does Corey Van Dyke just love? So, I'm sure a lot of fans can agree with this one. I actually got the opportunity to talk to him earlier in the year, and that would be Danny Cole. <laughs> growing up, um, my family wasn't huge Virginia Tech fans growing up. It wasn't until my brother went into college, my oldest brother, that we that was when we became Hokie fans, diehard Hokie fans, back in the Tyrod Taylor era. And who was the guy that Tyrod Taylor would always throw to? Danny Cole. So always open. Danny Cole became my guy. Uh, loved watching him. He even was on the Cowboys practice squad for he a little was. bit. That's and cool. that was my team as well. I thought he was going to get a shot there, but never really did. But, yeah, Danny Cole was uh, spectacular to watch. You know, little guy that you see out there and you wonder how does he get open every time, kind of like you see what Hunter Renfro did at, at Clemson and but, you know, that's who he was and would just always be that guy. Danny Cole was wide open and became the same. So. And he caught that football. Yep, he, he did, certainly ca- did. You know, that's one of my favorite Valentine's Day's cards is you're <laughs> a catch, a Danny Cole. And that's it's right. the, uh, <laughs> I should retweet that today. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine is Sam Rogers. He will always I, – I love – Evan loves some Sam Rogers. I got to interview him in high school. And uh, I remember just being so excited when he was a freshman and before everybody knew about him. And then now he's hyping everybody up in the fourth quarter of the UVA game. So, I don't know, Sam Rogers, you know, he just – Y'all are showing your age here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or your lack of age. Again, 07 was when I really f- first started following sports. Like, Sean Glennon is the oldest tech quarterback that I can remember. Right, right. Same um, me pretty much, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yes, I hope you guys have a great Valentine's Day. And uh, we hope you do, too. We love our TSL followers. And I actually do have it up uh, in front of me at the moment because we were talking about it earlier. 85 bucks uh, to join Tech Sideline. That's eight forty nine a month. And the student price is 30 so $5 higher uh, than we thought. But it's a great okay. time to card of the TSL family. Speaking of which, uh, what can we expect here over the weekend? What's, what's going on? Oh, well, over the weekend, you can expect a recap of the basketball game, of course. But tomorrow we'll have our normal Q&A. We'll have a preview of the basketball game. Probably have another scouting report article out. Corey's going to deliver his final uh, senior spotlight segment. We will have this, you know, so it's just a lot of content coming out yep. right now. And I can't forget wrestling home tomorrow against Cornell, a top and, opponent. And right, and then Saturday against UVA in the Moss Arts. Are you coming to that? No, it starts at 7 and the basketball game starts That's right. at 4.30, so I'll be writing the basketball recap at that point. Well, this has been a fantastic podcast. Our thanks to Chris as always, but Corey, it's been fun. You made your debut, man. we yeah. got to do it again. It's, it's been great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. And for more great Hokie Sport content, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook at Tech Sideline. For Tech Football and Baseball beat writer Corey Van Dyke, our managing editor Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.